morning, church. Good to see everybody today. Um, I was telling some folks as we were walking in, I felt like um, um, Mother Nature was going to slip us into winter for a couple of days, and then apparently she started feeling better, and now it's fall again, which is good. I'm glad you're here, though. Um, I want to do a quick pause here. Uh, Thursday, coming up, um, it's kind of a big day. It's... Uh, um, the, uh, I don't remember what anniversary of the, the Reformation, but no, that's not it. Oh, really, it's Halloween. Anyway, um, yeah, that was a little church humor, whatever. Anyway, uh, so here in this neighborhood where we are, uh, this, is, this is Lancaster, right? Isn't that what it's called, Chris? Yeah. There's a little park kind of right down the road here, and uh, apparently this area gets a lot of trick-or-treaters. And since this is the, the neighborhood that we're in, we want to go and um, try to meet some of our neighbors and some of the kids that get imported into the neighborhood too um, for trick-or-treat. So we're going to do um, out at the park, just, where, where am I? It's this way, right? That way, that way, thank you. Chris lives here, so he can tell me. Um, and so it's over, over here. And what we're going to do is we're going to do cotton candy because uh, we've got a machine, actually we, we now have two machines, and we're going to be using those two machines to make cotton candy for the kids. And then for parents, I think there's going to be donuts and cider and some other stuff. And uh, there's going to be a giveaway. And we're just trying to get out into the community um, because they're, you know, folks are driving by here and they see our signs, but they don't know anything about us. And so we just are going to go try to meet our neighbors. Now, um, so there's uh, some shifts to actually do cotton candy and whatnot. I think those are all full. But here's the deal. We just want everybody to show up. And uh, just try to be together as a church family on that day, kind of hang out, um, take the kids trick-or-treating around the neighborhood, come back for some fun stuff with Thrive Church, and, and um, be a part of that. So I want to make the invite to everyone. If you have questions about it, you can see any one of the staff members. We'd be happy to uh, tell you what we know. Um, but it, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, my understanding is it's going to be cold, but it's not going to be rainy. I'll take that. That's good. Um, but this, uh, this year, we really want to concentrate our effort, try to get to know the people that we, you know, live around. And so we want to be, be out in that community. So come on out. Um, even if you don't have kids, come on out. It'd be awesome for you to be there and just hang out with us and, uh, um, you know, get you full of cotton candy. You know, we'll wire you up and send you home. So <laughs> it'll be fun. Your kids do. Uh, so it'll be a good time to do that. And uh, I think if all goes well, we're going to be showing... The Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, which, yeah. So that's the price. That's worth it right there, right? Yeah, no, it'd be fun. So anyway, uh, come on out to that. Uh, so that's my Halloween invite. Come talk to us if you have any questions. We'd be delighted to chat with you about that. Um, also, the other thing I was going to, uh, I just thought about it this morning. A couple weeks ago, we had uh, Ken Love come in, and he um, did a talk for us on, on discipleship and journaling and some other things. Uh, if you missed it, that's okay, because we actually recorded it, and um, Dan got that all squared away for us. Is that posted? It is posted now, yep. Uh, we're going to try to have a link f um, to that for you in the next newsletter and uh, on social media, so that if you missed it and wanted to, to get in on that really great talk, um, you'll be able to do that. Or if you just need to hear it again, um, I know I'm going to go and listen to it again, so it'll be good. All right? Uh, let, me, let me just pray real quick here, and uh, we'll get rolling. God, thanks for the day today, for all of us being here together. Lord, I just want to pray over your church. 
I ask you to keep everybody healthy and keep everybody safe. Know that there's some people who are out sick and people who aren't feeling well, and uh, um, we want them to, to be in good health. We want them to be here with us because we miss them. Uh, so Lord, would you put your healing hand on those who need it? And for the rest of us, God, would you um, help us to be in a posture of receptivity? Uh, what is it that you want to say to us? Please speak clearly, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, all year long, we have been uh, talking about chasing after the presence of God. Uh, several series have, you know, we've weaved through various um, things related to that idea of chasing after the presence of God, trying to be in his presence a little bit more. In, in, the, in the process, I've, I've realized something kind of personally. And, uh, you know, oftentimes when I, when I put one of these messages together, I try to hold the main idea towards the end. Well, today I'm just going to give it to you right up front. I'm just going to let you know, I'm going to put my cards on the table and just tell you this is kind of the main point. This is the thing that I've been realizing just personally, and, and I, I wanted to kind of shape what the discussion looks like today. And, and here it is, um, maybe. You give me the next slide, Ashley, if you could. Maybe. Now, there we go. The difference between a believer and a disciple is God's presence. Now, now I, want you to, I want you to let that one sink in for a second. Because I, <laughs> I was going to say I think, but no, I know that there are people who believe that Jesus was who he said he was, believe that he died on the cross, and believed um, that he rose uh, again from the dead, and believe uh, that they can spend eternity with him in heaven. They believe that, but that doesn't necessarily make them a disciple. And I'm probably in a lot of trouble for saying that, <laughs> but that's okay. I've been in trouble before. I'll be in trouble again. You can have a certain amount of intellectual assent to a series of propositions. You know, Jesus was the Son of God, right? He died and was resurrected for humanity's sin. But that doesn't necessarily make you a disciple. A disciple is someone who is becoming like Jesus. So you can believe one thing and not necessarily act any different than you did before. Does that make sense? And so I think the difference, though, between those two things is when you're in the presence of God, when you're interacting with God himself. Is this making sense? And so there's, there's this gap between the two. And to move from a believer to a disciple means that you've you got to spend some time with God. Now, here, here's the thing. I'm not talking about quiet time with Jesus. Because there are some of us, <clears throat> myself included, every time I sit down for quiet time, open up my Bible, I start reading it, I start praying, whatever it happens to be, and the next thing you know, I'm out. I just I don't do quiet time very well. Never have. And for years, I thought I was the second-class Christian because I couldn't have quiet time. And we had a guy in our church, I love this guy, I learned so much about prayer from him, but every morning at like 6 a.m., he had this folding chair 
and, uh, um, and he had uh, what he called his prayer journal, but it was basically a spiral-bound notebook, and it was all beat up, and, and he would just write down the people that he was praying for. But he, at 6 a.m., he would go downstairs to the folding chair next to his furnace. Oh, my gosh, I cannot do that. <laughs> just, it's just not something that I could do. And every time I've tried that, and I've tried getting up early, I've tried to do it before I go to bed, and every single time, I'll, I'll just confess right now, I went to sleep. It was just not the thing that I could do. So when I'm talking about spending time with Jesus, that's not what I'm suggesting is that you have to have quiet time. That may work for you. Cool. God bless you. But as you'll recall, over the last, I don't know, six or seven weeks, we've been talking about spiritual practices. That's what I mean. Trying to find deliberate, intentional ways of interacting with God through some type of practice, whether you're doing prayer or meditation or fasting or solitude or whatever it happens to be for you, um, those are the types of things that I'm, that I'm suggesting that we've got to be in God's presence in some way. And I really appreciated this comment that, that Ken made while he was here. Um, he often talks about the use of journaling. And he says, you know, when you're chasing after the presence of God, sometimes you'll open up your journal, you'll write some things, and you don't sense that God's saying anything to you. And you close the journal and you put it away. And he says, the thing that you have to remember is you actually chased after his presence and that's enough. Because eventually, God's going to honor that. You know, God's going to interact with you because you're pursuing him. And that's what I'm trying to get at with all of this is that the difference between a believer and a disciple is somebody who chases after that presence of God, who want to interact with him intentionally. Because I don't think it just happens by accident. I mean, I, I suppose it could. But I think for, for the vast majority of us, we kind of have to struggle through that a little bit to, to try to figure out the best way that, that, that we know how to interact with him and, and trust that God's going to meet us right where we are. So don't hear that this idea of presence of God is quiet time. It may be that for you, but I don't think it is for everybody. But just some way of interacting with God. And today I'm, I'm starting a new series um, because Jesus talks about this idea. He talks about this, the difference between a believer and a disciple, I think. Um, and if you have a Bible, you might want to turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Um, Jesus speaks about this in a metaphor about vine and branches, and I'm going to spend the next couple of weeks in this, uh, digging a little bit deep. Um, a friend of mine preached on this not too long ago and found himself just finding multiple layers of things that he needed to, to learn, and I, I, I don't doubt him. Um, I just know in the first you know, week or so that I've been doing this study, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is very rich. And so I'm looking forward to this. So I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 15. And let me give you a little bit of context here. I want to tell you what's going on in the book of the Gospel of John at this point. So <clears throat> at this point in John's narrative, um, Jesus is having his last meal with his disciples, with his group of, of closest confidants, um, before he is arrested, tried, crucified, resurrected, all of that. And for John, the author, this is very important, it's very shaping, because a lot of the, a lot of the themes that we find in other, uh, other parts of his writing are, are found right here. So there's a very shaping moment. He spills a lot of ink here, too. Um, so uh, this part of this block of teaching 
um, is, is often called the farewell discourse, so keep that in mind. And, and so apparently John re- recalls this. Um, because if you look in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Revelation, you find some of these same themes or ideas. And so what I want to do is I just want to read through the, the pericope, the, the passage first uh, that we're going to be talking about over the next couple of weeks, and then I'm going to come back and, and pick up on one of the points. So um, John chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. And I'm doing from the NIV version, uh, for those of you who want to know that. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, uh, well, every branch that uh, does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no, uh, no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. <laughs> Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. This is the word of the Lord and we believe it. But I want you to, to, to notice where he starts. <clears throat> he says, I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. I want to camp out here for just a second because I think this is really interesting. This is where he starts. The first thing he says is, I am the true vine. And this particular word has some, some meaning to it, the true vine. It means uh, real or authentic um, or kind of in today's language, not fake. Okay? It means I am the true vine. I'm the real thing. You know, this, is, this is it. He wants us to understand that. And then he says, and my father is the, what's the word? Gardener. Isn't that interesting? gardener. Uh, the word can also be used for farmer or more appropriately, appropriately here and in some translations, it's a vine dresser. It's the person who actually takes care of a vineyard. Not necessarily a vinter, who's the one that makes the wine, but the person who actually cares for the plants themselves. And it's a very specific word with that kind of meaning to it. And it's an interesting metaphor, I think, 
Um, because if you, if you spend a few minutes thinking about a garden, how many of you do some gardening? I know there's a lot of you. Um, yeah, a lot of people are like, well, it depends. It's Oklahoma, and you never know what kind of weather we're going to get. Yeah, that's true. Um, but if you do some kind of gardening, I mean, you can think about it. There's some certain, there's some, there's a couple of ideas that you know are in play every time a person plants a gardener. And the first one is this, and I think this is really important, is that there's a purpose to a garden. And what's the purpose? To bear fruit or vegetables, right? To produce something. But there's a purpose to it. Yes, I suppose you can plant a garden for aesthetic reasons to make your house look nice. Yes, that's true. But the vast majority of gardening that's been done over the last 2,000 years has really been to help feed the household. So keep that in mind. There's a purpose to this. Purpose to all of it. Secondly, there's a process. Growth requires care. If nothing more than to get rid of the weeds, right? You've got, I presume you have weeds in your garden. Oh, no, I don't have those. Then we need to talk because I don't know how that works, right? Had plenty of them. So there's a, there's a process to it. Growth requires some type of care. And also, I would, I would argue that there's, there's a relationship that you have with the plants. You know, if you're going to care for them, that means you actually have to interact with the plants to, to some degree. At the very least, you have to harvest the fruit. So you've got to get in there and do that. We, uh, we planted raspberry bushes, um, and uh, this year we had a, kind of a bumper crop of them. But um, our eight-year-old was having a hard time because they're thorny, right? But you, you got to get in there if you want the fruit. And so she learned how to do that and, and, and enjoyed it. So you have to actually interact with the plant. Um, you got to take care of the soil at some, um, at some level. You got to be careful of the location. Does it get enough sun or doesn't it? Uh, those are types of things. Water, nutrients, all of those factors go into the garden. So there's some interaction that goes on with those plants. So we know there's a purpose. We know there's a process. We know that there's some type of relationship we have. And the really interesting thing is we could stop right there. We could stop right there and just say, there's the sermon. There's the thing that God is trying to, to have us keep in mind. We have to be in a position in order for God to, to care. Because remember, God is the gardener. And the challenge would then be, how does God the gardener actually interact with you? How does he, how does he interact? How does he dress the grapes, so to speak, in your own life? But I think there's something else that's going on here. I think there's one other thought. Another thing for you to consider, at least. <clears throat> Jesus is the true vine, right? And God is a gardener. It's an odd metaphor. It's a little weird. Because, you know, if you think of it, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples, so they're not in a vineyard. There's no indication in the text that they're near a vineyard. Um... Now, they may have had wine on the table, but wine is very different than the vineyard. So, you know, why, why bring this particular metaphor? Because it seems kind of random, doesn't it? I mean, just like all of a sudden, well, that's just what Jesus does. He just comes up with these random illustrations. He starts talking about them. Eh, maybe. Where else in the Bible have we read about a gardener? in a garden.
in the beginning, God created the, supposed to be heavens and the earth. <laughs> Quick pause. When I type in on my phone the word stupid, the next word is almost always the suggested word, autocorrect. I'll leave that for you to think about. Anyway, back to Jesus, okay? Thanks. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Interesting. John, well, let me back up. The, the Genesis 1 and 2 story is a picture of how God wanted the world to work. There is a harmony here. There's something that's happening within this first two chapters. The ancient Hebrews called it shalom. We, we think of the word as peace, but the word really means kind of balance and equilibrium, where everything is living up to its responsibility, doing what it was intended to do. And this is the picture that's being um, painted for us in these first two verses. Creation operating as it intended, there was always enough. It wasn't until after the fall that there wasn't enough. There was purpose. Human beings had purpose to it, and, and there was companionship. There was a relationship that human beings had with one another and they had with God, all in this beautiful opening story. John, the author, often uses this thing called the principle of first mention. He'll take a word or a phrase or an idea that you've read somewhere else in the Bible deliberately trying to draw your attention to it. He is connecting Jesus back to the ancient story. And not just the ancient story, the most ancient of stories. The very beginning. I am the vine. My father is the gardener. The garden metaphor is supposed to draw our attention to that perfect moment in history. By the way, it also foreshadows the resurrection, but that's a story for like April. <laughs> you see, when we're in the vine, we have, we have companionship. There are other branches, there are other people that we can be connected to, and we're connected to Jesus himself. There's companionship. There's also... There's also purpose. God wants us to bear fruit, fruit that will last. We do that in the vine. And by the way, in the vine, you're enough. You are enough. Jesus will meet you right where you are and you're enough. To have all these things that are happening within this beautiful little metaphor about the vine and the gardener, 
This is the place where God can do his work. You see, I think what's happening here, in part, through the text, is Jesus is inviting us to be his disciples, to be connected to him in some way. Not to simply be believers, but to be disciples. People who are formed and changed, not just because we're grafted into the vine, but because the Father is going to do his work as the vine dresser. Every one of us, that's the invitation. So the, the challenge for all of us today is the difference between believer and disciple is presence of God, then what is God inviting you to?